This message is a presentation of Vortex Church at vortexchurch.com. Everybody good this morning to do today? Y'all ready to get at it? All right. Hey, the other day, a friend of mine was telling me a story. I, I can't believe it, really. It's one of those things you hear somebody say and you just go, you crazy. Um, so um, he, he was telling me he was going to the grocery store and he was on the way into the grocery store. And outside the grocery store, there was a man and he had a pig in his hands. All right. The man had a pig in his hand, had a little, had a little pink bow around the pig. And that's one of those things that's kind of like a, a train wreck. You kind of have to watch it for a little while. Y'all know what I'm saying? You see, you see a man with a, a pig that's got a pink bow wrapped around it. That's just one of those things you just can't, like, can't take my eye off that thing. And so he, he was inquisitive and went over and asked the man what he was doing. And he said, well, this is our pet pig that I bought for my wife and my daughter. Really? You bought your daughter a pet pig. How old is your daughter? Well, she's four. I got it for her fourth birthday. Y'all know four years old, right? A four-year-old ain't got no business with a pet pig, right? And so, so um, he goes, so what are you doing with it? He goes, well, I'm trying to give it to somebody. Do you want it? He's right. no, no, I don't. Well, tell me, how did, how did you get it? I mean, do y'all have animals? No, we ain't got any pets. What? And you bought a, and has your wife, has your wife ever had any pets? No. Never had a pet in her entire life. Pet number one is a pet pig. That's a bad decision right there, right? But just like my friend who was a little inquisitive walking up on that situation, the first thing in your notes today is that there's always something. Go ahead and throw this up on the screen for you guys to fill in the blanks. There's always more going on in the story. There's always something more to a story than what we can see. There's always something more. So just like my friend who was a little inquisitive about a a little pet pig with a pink bow wrapped around it, there's always more to a story. I want to show you a video, and then I'm going to unpack this video because this is one of those videos. When we watch this video, some of y'all are going to go, what's wrong with the TV? And some of y'all are going to go, I remember when TV looked like that, right? But let's watch this video. I want you to see this, and then I'm going to take a moment and unpack this story for you. It's from the 1988 Seoul Summer Olympics in 1984 when the Olympics were in L.A. Carl Lewis's father came to watch him for one of the first times in a large meet. Those of you who have athletes as children know that there's a sacrifice that's paid when you tote them around, send them to different places, and His father watched him win the gold medal in the Olympics in 1984. In 1987, his father passed away. And at the funeral, Carl took the Olympic gold medal and put it around his father's neck and promised him that he would win the gold. So the woman that you see in that video is Carl's mother. There's even more to the story that you don't see because... Carl Lewis does not win the gold medal, at least in the order of the way it finishes, because Carl Lewis finishes second behind Ben Johnson from Canada. And there's a tense moment actually right after the race, and I included that in the video for us to see today, where Carl Lewis literally chases Ben Johnson down to shake his hand. It has to like force him around to shake his hand. 
because there was some tension there. You see, it was alleged coming into the Olympics that Johnson was juicing and using performance-enhancing drugs. He showed all the signs, rapid muscle growth, yellowing in the whites of his eyes. And three days later, he tested positive for steroids, was stripped of the gold medal, and it was awarded to Carl Lewis. And he fulfilled the promise to his father. All of that you don't see in that story, do you? There's a depth to a story that goes beyond what we can see. And as we zero in on the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke in this series, I want to encourage you that there is a lot more going on in these stories than we have traditionally leveraged. I just want to take a moment and retell a story that's towards the end of that chapter. Jesus tells three stories about things that are lost. The first one is about a lost coin, then about a lost sheep. Actually, it's the sheep, then the coin. And then he tells a story about a son that is lost. And that's the story that we're going to zero in on today. In the story, Jesus tells us that there was a man who had two sons, and one of his sons one day came to him and said, I would like to get the inheritance that's owed to me when you pass away, but I want it right now. In other words, you're as good to me as dead, so please just go ahead and give me the money that I would get if you died. And so that happens. The father has to sell off property and cattle and goats and everything that he would have to do. It wasn't at that point in time, uh, financial resources weren't held in a bank. It was more what you owned. And so he goes through all that trouble, gives the son the inheritance. The son leaves home and goes in the scriptures record as Jesus tells the story that he squanders all of his money in wild living, finds himself one day completely broke feeding slop the pigs that's how far he's gone and he wakes up and says to himself that a hired servant in my father's house is living better than I could so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave with the proposition for my father that if I return home I would beg him can you just receive me I know I'm not a son anymore I have forfeited the right to be your son. Would you just receive me as a servant and let me live in your house because servants are living better than I'm living right now. And so he sets off. And when he comes home, the father doesn't just receive him as a servant. He runs to him, puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe around him, kills the best animal that he can find, and he throws a party to welcome his son back. The older son is out in the fields working because he's been there the whole time. He's been the faithful one. And so as he comes back in from the fields working, there is a commotion. How many of you have ever came home and there was a party going on at your house that you didn't know was going to be going on? That ever happened to y'all? All right. Y'all get a little upset about that? I'm going to say I probably would, right? So he's a little upset because this brother 
who has insulted his father has returned. This brother has been welcomed back into the family. There's a lot more going on there that we'll address later in this series. But here's what I want you to see. That the father leaves the party and goes out to the son who refuses to go into the party. To bring him back into the party. And the scriptures end with that conversation right there. As Jesus is telling it. With this statement that this brother of yours was lost and is found now. He was dead and is alive. And all we could do is celebrate. All we could do is celebrate. Now, traditionally, this story is told to you and given what title? Anybody want to participate this morning? What do we call this story? The prodigal son, right? The word prodigal is really important to examine. As a matter of fact, let's look at uh, what it could mean. There's two meanings that we could actually ascribe to the word. One is when it's used as an adjective. It could mean spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant. Or as a noun, it would be used to characterize a person who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way. I would like to tell you today this statement, and it's in your notes, it'll be on the screen, that the father is the prodigal in the story. And Jesus is teaching us about who the father really is through this story. Most of the time when we look at this story, I just want to help you as you study the Bible. That it is so easy to insert ourselves into the story of Scripture. And that's why this story is so easy because there are three characters and everyone in this room can identify with one of those. But this story is all about the Father. And Jesus is being very intentional in showing us the nature of the Father so that we can Avoid being the lost son. So today I want to go through five things that I see. There's a lot more. I may blog an extended list of this this week. But there's a ton of stuff that's in this passage of what God is teaching us about the heart of the Father. But this, five things, five things that I see that are extremely important for us to see as Jesus teaches Number one, that the Father responds to our requests. In verse 12 of Luke 15, it says this, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The son was not the owner. It was not his house. Those sheep, goats, cattle, they weren't his. They were the father's. And he makes a request of the father, but the father does not. He is not obliged to respond to that, but he does. And in our lives, it's important to remember that God's heart is moved when we seek him 
and ask him. God's heart is moved when we're willing to seek him and to ask him because there are things in your life right now that you need to have happen in your life that you can't make happen. I mean, there are things that we need God to show up and do. I can't even do it. It's not an issue of money, resource, time, effort, energy. I just can't make it happen. And somehow, a finite human being on earth, a small little dot in the middle of a big galaxy, which is a small little dot in the middle of a huge universe, somehow God, who created all of that, is moved when we ask him to do something. In Luke 11, Jesus teaches on prayer. He actually uses the analogy of living next to somebody. Now, we live in the country, so we can talk about this where in the city some folks wouldn't get this. You know what I'm talking about? But if I need some some sugar and I'm out of sugar, what do I do? I don't run all the way to the grocery store. I go next door and ask for some, right? That's what we do. That's how we live around here, right? And Jesus uses this analogy of living next to somebody that's got some bread, but it's the middle of the night and you're you're hungry and you need something to eat. And he says, if you go, you go over and you knock and you knock and you knock and you knock and you knock. Eventually, they're going to come and answer the door. And if you're hungry, they're probably going to give you some bread. And in verse 10 of Luke 11, he says this for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. It is important today to recognize that in the heart of the Father, that God responds when we ask. But what do we do sometimes? We ask everybody but God. I want to talk to my my friends, I want to talk to my mentors, I want to talk to somebody, but I won't get on my knees and confess I can't make this happen. I want a book, I want a strategy, I want a sermon, I want a podcast, I want to watch a video. God put something on YouTube. All of that, instead of getting on my face and saying, God, I'm just completely inept in this situation. I can't fix it, and I'm trusting you too. Somehow, God responds to that. The second thing that I see about the nature of the Father that Jesus reveals to us is that God honors our commitment to himself. You see, the older brother shows up, and he's a little perturbed because his brother who was the The screw-up in the family, the one who took all the money and went out whoring around, shows back up, broke. And we would all be in that same boat. We'd all react the same way. And here's one interesting thing that the father says to him in verse 31. My son, the father said, you have always been with me. And everything I have is yours. It's all yours. 
You've been committed. I know that. I've seen it. Thank you. And all this stuff, all this stuff that you've been slaving for, it's always been yours. It's always been yours. You didn't have to even work to earn it. You've, you've just been with me. Look at this verse out of John 1, John 1, 12. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I love my little girl. And we're getting to that stage where she likes to ask for things. And she has learned the word please. And it's one of the most frustrating things ever because sometimes she'll just go off on tangents and just say please. And I have no idea what she wants me to do. Please. I don't, I don't know. Help me out. You want this? No. Please. God, come on. You want some, you want some goldfish? No, please. You know, and after like a minute, it's just like, please. You know, I'm, I, I would give it to you if I knew. And God tells us that if we've received him, we've been adopted into his family, that we're kids. And later on in scripture, he says that if an earthly father can give his children good gifts, how much more could our heavenly father give us good gifts? Right? God honors our faithfulness to him. The third thing that I see in here, and this is, I'm going to try, I'm going to try not to like break down on this one, because then um, when, when we found out that we were pregnant, this, this man, this passage of scripture rocked my world. And this is one little moment in here when you see something about the heart of God. It is just profound. It's this, that the Father doesn't give up on us. The Father doesn't give up on us. If you've got your Bibles and you're looking at Luke 15, let's zero in on verse 20. On verse 20. And what it says is, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. There's a phrase in there that we could rush past and miss. And that's where the scripture tells us through the words of Jesus that while he was still a long way off. You know how you see something from a long way off? You're looking for it. See, the father never gave up on his son. The imagery that we get is that here's a, here's a dad who's lost his son. And he's looking down that road and looking down that road. Looking down that road and that, that day comes when he sees his son break the horizon. and He can't even stay. It's an old man. As an old man, he takes off running to his son. And that's the kind of God that we serve, a God that won't give up on you. And he knows you. He knows that you're crazy. He knows it. He, he, knows, he knows we all have our own brand of crazy, and he knows your brand. He knows that there's some things in your life that 
that you wish weren't there and you've worked really hard to overcome them and they're not gone yet. But he's not given up on you. The first song that we sang today as you were following in contains this little phrase that's mentioned 46 times in the Psalms. It's an adjective to describe God's love. It's the phrase that God's love is unfailing. Now in in our world today, we're pretty familiar with failing, aren't we? There's blogs and Facebook pages that can show us how people have failed. But think about this. God's love will not fail you. Look at this scripture. It comes out of Psalms 119. Psalm 119. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. There are things that when we look into the heart of God that we, we just, we need to know that he's not going to give up on us. He's not going to give up on you. I mean, you may have blown it a thousand times, but God is still looking down that road because he knows that as long as we keep trusting in him, that one day we're going to break the horizon. The fourth thing that I see is that God gives us more than we should ever dare to ask for. Verse 22 and 23 records the son coming home. And he comes home with the request, God, could you just make me a servant? Father, I just want to be a a servant. I I don't even need to be your son. I'm not expecting that. I just know that servants in your house live a whole lot better than I've been living. Could you make me a servant? And what does the father do? The father receives him instead of as a servant. He receives him as a son. And some of us today need to know that God is still a whole lot bigger than we could ever imagine he could be. But there's another thing that I see in here, which is why I included the word should. We live in a, in a culture, especially in a climate in American Christianity, when we feel like God is a cosmic Pez machine that I can go up and punch him and he owes me something. You see, the son knew who he was. He had come to grips with the fact that he had blown it. And so he was comfortable coming home and saying, I've blown it. I ask for inheritance. I know, I know that I've insulted you. All I want to be is a servant. He asked something that in that situation, there's a lot of humility in there. And it's amazing to me that when we approach God, that we've lost a lot of that humility. Because humility is a catalyst for God to do something in the life of a church or in the life of an individual. You know why? Because someone who is humble knows who's doing what. 
and he comes home with his tail tucked between his legs. The father does not receive him as a servant. He doesn't kick him out. He lets him come in as a son. Now there's consequences to that. That means now the inheritance that was once this big is now this big, but he's right back in line to receive an inheritance. He's a son, functional, back in the family. Everything that you had is now restored to you. God does that. He does that. In our lives, God has given us much better than we could ever ask or imagine. I mean, I've spent time distributing Bibles legally in central China where people live on $100 a year. And a $2.50 Bible is too expensive for them to ever purchase. Where people literally eat fried insects. So when you go home today and you look at a stack of Bibles that are 10 tall on some of our desks, I've seen women in their 60s get in fights to try to get a Bible from us. We're all blessed. God has blessed us. I don't care. I mean, it could be the worst week, I promise you. We're living an abundant blessing. But I want you to look at this verse. We've read this a lot together. It's one of those things that God reminds me of when we're here at church because he has done this in our midst. It's Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, that God is able to do a whole lot more than we could ever even dream up. He is. He still is. And in those situations when you look at your life and you're like, you know, out of great humility, God, I would just only like to be a servant in that situation. God, just, uh, I know I've blown it. I'm coming back. I've got my tail tucked between my legs. I know I've messed it up. God, could you just receive me as a servant? You know what he does? No, you're my son. You're my daughter. It's amazing that God is so gracious and generous with us. And the fifth thing that I see that Jesus shows is that the Father delights in restoring relationships that were broken. One of the last things that he tells the older son is that we had to be to celebrate and be glad in verse 32 because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There is a party that's going on because my son that I, don't, I haven't had for a while who has broken everything, there's a party going on because that relationship is in the middle of being restored. When the shepherd at the beginning of the chapter loses his sheep, he comes back and rejoices. When the lady who has lost her coin 
tears her house apart and finds that coin, she actually has a little get-together to celebrate the fact that that which was lost has been found. God is showing us something throughout this chapter that his heart rejoices when the things that are broken in this world are made right. God's heart rejoices when the things that were broken are made right. Look at this verse with me. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You see, in the middle of some difficult circumstances, often it's really easy to say, God, where were you? Where are you? And, you know, Amanda and I were talking about this yesterday. There's, we had this moment when we were driving home last night. I did a wedding for Ashley and Nick. Nick and Ashley were here a few weeks ago. They got married in a, in a hurricane yesterday. It was awesome. On the beach in a hurricane, right? Um, but we did it anyway. We were, we were troopers. I mean, it's a Navy SEAL. You know, I guess they can just get, get married anywhere. You know, it's a perfect situation for that dude. Um, so we're driving home last night, and, and then Adelaide just bust out all of a sudden, just crying. I mean, just, and she's in pain, it's obvious, and so we stop, and Amanda takes care of her. We're getting ready to get back on the road, and Amanda says, I hate it when she's like that, but I love being able to comfort her. I love those moments. And, you know, there's a, there's a certain intimacy that's born in a relationship when we go through something that's broken. And it's not that God breaks stuff in our life so that he can have that. It's life just breaks some things. But the Father delights in those moments. And today, as we kind of walk through this, one of the thoughts that we've been stringing together through the series is that we make history when we can abandon our story and start to live his story because this is all about enter, like entering his story in our lives because most of the time we live stories that we're writing the story and those stories get pretty old pretty quickly but history is when we embrace his story. And I, I begin to think as we look at the Father, as God reveals the Father to us through this passage of Scripture. And there's a lot of us in here who have sat back and looked at that tension, the tension between my story and the story that God could write through me. And we say, that's a grand notion. And it sounds awesome, but I am not taking that step. I am not taking that step. And the reason is, is because there's a part of us that has some, something inside that just says, I don't know if I can trust God enough. I don't know if God is loving and caring and good enough that if I abandon taking care of myself, that God will take care of me. And here's what I see as Jesus 
reveals to us the nature of the Father through this story that you can always trust the Father. I mean, the younger son blew it about in his day in the context of Jesus sharing that story. He blew it about as bad as it could have been blown in a family. I mean, really, it was as insulting as it could possibly have ever been. And the father receives him back into the family. You can trust the heart of the father. The second thing that I see is that God's love is unfailing. When his son shows up, most of us have a tendency in our story to love people because they can be, they can play a role in our story. I love you because you can help me or because you can add a certain texture to my life. But all the father did was lose with his son. He didn't gain a thing. As a matter of fact, monetarily at the end of the story, everybody in the story except the younger brother is a whole lot worse off. But he was generous with his love. And for some of you today, my encouragement would simply be this that you can rest in the fact that you can trust Jesus. You can rest in the fact that you can trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, today, as we've taken a few moments, just a few moments to look at your nature, I want to ask that you would remind us again of how good you are, God, you have been so, so kind, so generous, so wonderful to us. And Lord, I want to take a moment and confess some of us in this room today, we just don't, we don't trust the things that we've been told. And as we've looked into the heart of you, Lord, there's some things there that are very difficult for us. It's difficult for us to think about a God that is trustworthy and loving because sometimes when we look back in life, it feels like I haven't seen that. But God, Lord, remind us of your nature. Remind us of your goodness today. So today, nobody looking around, I just want to ask a very simple question. Today, if you would say for the first time or just for a time that I just need to make this a moment for me, not for any kind of count or record, just really between you and Jesus. And I'm looking just so that I can pray for you. Would you say right now, would you say that, you know what, I've been holding back from really going after this thing because I'm not sure that I can trust God. But today, I'm going to do that. I'm going to trust him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? 
I see those hands. That's awesome. If you say today, I've been really struggling with feeling that God could that God could love me because of some crazy stuff that I've done, some stupid mistakes in my past because I'm this or because I'm that. But today I'm challenged with the notion that God is going to love me even when I've blown it. And today I just want to maybe take that first step and walk in in that love. If that's you, would you, would you raise your hand in here today? I see those. So, Lord, for those that have raised their hands today, for those who today have committed in their hearts to walk away from their own story, but to start embracing your story, I just want to ask that you be with them, encourage them. God, give them strength so that they can walk out of here and chase after you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. How about a hand clap for those people?